0: good morning from the racing capital of the world speedway indiana my name is nick sturgeon thank you for tuning in to episode 69 of the cyber.now podcast thank you all for tuning in we are your number one spot for learning about all things technology, cybersecurity, politics, and policy. I want to thank Delta Research and Doug Grapp for their support. I also want to thank all of you for tuning in and taking time out of your day and listening to this show. Again, time is that one resource that we do not get back. So much appreciation to you guys. For those of you who are new listeners, welcome. And for those of you who are returning listeners, thank you for your continued support. So, this morning, I was going through my pre-podcast routine, looking for some articles to discuss, and I came across this one particular article from TheHill.com. Now, this particular article, looking at it, the title alone got me to be intrigued and it was enough for me to click on the link the other thing that I just happened to notice about this and it was on the hill.com's technology policy front page was that this article had a sponsored content tag i get into it see the article is titled why backdoors are distracting us from real Cybersecurity issues so i'm expecting some insights on why this particular topic of backdoors is distracting us from quote-unquote real cybersecurity issues, or maybe some new positions or something that I may not have thought of or thought about. After reading the article, though, I found myself scratching my head and thinking, okay, the content didn't really have anything to do with what the title suggested. Yeah, sure, the author described what backdoors are. and She talked about network reliability, testing, and of all things, strong passwords, which that is kind of old. But at the end of the article, I really wasn't any more educated about this issue than I was when I first started reading the article. Then, as I was going back through the article from very top to, to bottom, the first thing I, I did was look at who wrote the article. And it also happened to show who they worked for. Then it hit me, this article had nothing to do with what the title suggests. And that's even beyond not really having any content or any meat to it. So the author's name is Joy Tan, And she is a Senior Vice President of Public Affairs for Huawei. Now, this adds a layer of valuable context to where she is coming from. As you are aware, and at least of those of you who have been listening to this show, Huawei is a Chinese-based telecom company that is being blocked by the U.S. government from doing business here in the U.S. Now... The reasoning for this quote-unquote embargo is due to the fears that the Chinese government has installed quote-unquote backdoors on the technology that Huawei uses in, for instance, their 5G networks. And this, by the way, giving the Chinese government unfettered access To all of the data that is going across that technology. To say this is a national security issue is a major understatement. Now, we have enough concerns as it is with our own government spying on us. See, the re-upping of the Patriot Act that passed this past week. But to have that type of risk coming from a foreign adversary puts us in a whole new level of Oh, crap. Now, I'm going to take a second here to, to read you the article. It's not that long. So again, Why Backdoors Are Distracting Us from Real Cybersecurity Issues is the title. It begins, The world's roughly 5 billion smartphone users probably don't think too much about the behind-the-scenes effort it takes to keep their networks running 24-7. Nor should they really have to. That's why the mere suggestion of a potential threat to those networks intentional or not, is cause for serious alarm. So far, so good. And then there are backdoors. A backdoor is a means to access or perform operations on a computer system or data that bypasses the system's customary security mechanisms. It can be a means to unauthorized, undocumented access for illegitimate purposes that bad actors could use as a means of attack or as a mechanism to access network data. Not only bad actors, this is governments, folks. So little problem, she just wants to focus it on those bad guys. Now, bad guys is in context when we're talking about governments, but it's still a potential for governments to have access to that data as well. And we've talked about the issue, Apple versus the FBI, Reference the San Bernardino shooting that happened a couple years ago. We talked about that on a previous episode. While an unauthorized backdoor is a serious issue, it is just one of hundreds of potential threat vectors that should be tested for as part of a comprehensive cybersecurity strategy. Don't disagree with that. Which brings us to testing and reliability. For example, carriers have a federal mandate to maintain a 99.99% uptime slash reliability. This ensures reliable availability for emergency responders and other critical services. What goes into maintaining that high level of reliability? Testing. Lots and lots of testing. Many of the larger carriers have entire teams devoted to testing just the security aspects of networks which are separate from planning and operations. Additionally, because of the complexity of security testing, operators often contract out certain tests to other companies, like penetration testing and regulatory compliance audits. And though each carrier has a slightly different approach in their testing methodology, the end result is the same, pass or fail. This may come as a big surprise, but it's not all uncommon for new products to generate a failed result, since some bugs are almost invariably found. The test engineers then generate a report and send it back to the vendors to resolve any problems. After that, it's back to square one on the test, bench, rise and uh, rinse, and repeat until it passes. Now let's step aside here. We go from the comprehensive cybersecurity strategy to testing reliability. A little bit of a connection there, but but not much. She really does kind of, at least in my mind, deviate from, and then the, the transition isn't really there. It's not really connecting, at least to me, until I go back and add some additional context here after bit. When it comes to reliability and security, carriers allow themselves plenty of time to make sure everything is 100% tested and reviewed. Once the hardware and software have passed the intensive testing regimens, the test engineering staff use that final configuration as a master file for each type of device to be installed. Each will have its own locked down configuration files which are uploaded before deployment and those master files are locked well away from general access. Only a few engineers are allowed access to them. These networks are then fully secured with different layers of security mechanisms such as firewalls and authentication, parentheses strong usernames and passwords, as well as organizational policies and processes. So we're bringing strong passwords into this. This strong password policy is one-on-one type of stuff. Ultimately, access to any equipment once it's in the operator's live network is strictly controlled. Access for legitimate purposes requires many authorizations, monitoring, and tracking of every keystroke. When it comes to software, there's also extensive testing, unlike your cell phone carriers. Do not allow automatic software updates. That would be completely irresponsible and probably catastrophic. Even with your cell phone, you can decline the update until you feel comfortable with allowing it to download and install on your device. Many people wait days, if not weeks or more, to install an update on their phones in order to hear what others have experienced with it. With each software update from vendors, carriers go right back to square one testing, which takes weeks or even months to be certified to work with all the other third-party equipment running in their networks then locked down and distributed to the field for installation. Te- widespread testing for vulnerabilities and bad coding is even more critical when you consider that the supply chain for most of these electronic, electronic equipment is fully globalized. However, excess, however, to suggest that the excellent scientists, engineering engineers, and technicians who ensure you have dial tone and broadband access 24-7 are going to be easily fooled or either willfully or unintentionally or unintentional breaches or backdoors in their network severely discounts their skills and expertise here's the best approach to cybersecurity with all networks as a potential risk our national network security should be paramount of paramount concern to all stakeholders and we are all stakeholders when it comes to data privacy and security in today's technology-driven global supply chain ecosystem, we must ensure risk-based approaches are applied to securing our critical infrastructure that the quote "trust through verification" is the only acceptable way forward. It's actually a good thing that backdoors have reached uh, received so much attention lately. It helps, it's helping spur a conversation around comprehensive global security or cybersecurity policy which is adhered to by all national, or all nations and stakeholders. We now need to turn this conversation into action by developing strong processes and procedures that will help secure the national telecom infrastructure both here in the U.S. and around the world. So there's a couple of things here, and I say a couple, there's actually more than a couple, but kind of at, at the core of this article. As you can see... She is subtly making an argument that because testing is done on all of these networks, both hardware and software, and because there are some professional people working on these things to suggest that they would allow this stuff to happen, that you're diminishing or you're putting them in a bad light. But it's not necessarily the people that I'm worried about, though she doesn't specifically mention that she works for Huawei or for the fact that she doesn't mention any other company. She's lumping all of these telecom companies together, and that is pointed out by the fact that she states, quote, many of the larger carriers have teams, dot, 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 is a clear indication that she is including her company in that group of larger carriers. And so from that point on, you can surmise that she is speaking directly about Huawei and the rest of the things that she mentions going on from that point on, even though she doesn't directly mention them at all, them being Huawei. For instance, she goes into a high level overview of the testing and quality assurance processes that these large companies go through. You can not guarantee she is trying to get you as the reader to make that subconscious connection that her company goes through all of the same steps for reviewing, testing reliability, and maintaining uptime and all all of the policies and procedures and password protections and all of that stuff. Again, she flat out makes the argument that for a company to allow something like that is, in essence, a form of malpractice and a professional knock to all of those people, which I don't disagree with. But again, the way, at least in my opinion, this article is written is to get you as the reader to make a connection subconsciously that since all carriers do these things, therefore her company does those things as well. And life is good. And one of the couple of interesting points she brings up is the, the fact about carriers having to maintain a 99.99% uptime for emergency responders. Again, I think this is a, another mer, a mechanism that she has carefully crafted to get you to make that subconscious connection. She's trying to draw you in emotionally. Hey, look. These carriers have to do this because of emergency responders. And if things go down, you know, if they can't talk and they can't get to you when you have an emergency because of whatever natural disaster, whatever the case may be, you know, that just a way to make that emotional connection to you as the reader. But what she doesn't do and she does not bring up, which is really at the heart of the question here on why. Huawei is not allowed sold, or installed in our wireless infrastructure is it's not just the quote unquote bad actors. It is the matter of fact that the Chinese are being accused of having these back doors installed on the hardware or within somewhere in the code. And I'll get to that a little bit more here in just a bit. But I want to attack her position on, quote, the best approach to security. And as she put it, is to view all networks as a potential risk. Well, especially when they're coming from a company that is, again, at least in part, or maybe as a whole, having a relationship or owned by the Chinese government, a foreign adversary. In my mind, this is just an oversimplified statement and not really an approach to begin with. To me, this is a frame of mind of how you start to address security. But it's not by itself the approach. Taking risk into account. Yes, I think that's just a fundamental part of cybersecurity. Again, going back, when that network, at least in a high degree of confidence, is being controlled by a foreign adversary, or at least a company with strong connections to that foreign adversary, that is a huge risk that she's not addressing whatsoever in this article. And you could say the same about those in China or Russia doing in their American companies. So it, it is not just solely a, a, a Chinese thing, but at least in this context for us Americans, want to have that view of you know China and the, the Chinese government is adversarial to the U.S., They do not have our best interest in mind. And I I think I should take a step back here and and I want to go back to the, yes, they're a risk-based approach, but it's just not about networks or all networks as potential risk. It's everything that you do is a potential risk. So again, it's just an oversimplified approach, quote unquote, which I, again, I don't really see that as an approach by itself, or at least one that you want to would want to take up. But anyway, so, yes, you as individuals and you and your companies need to address security holistically. Again, it's not about just the networks. It's the way programmers and developers write their code. It's it's everything. For me, her statement is just weak, plain and simple. I do think she is trying to obfuscate the real issue here, as I've already mentioned, the Chinese government or companies on their behalf have, in the past, installed on chips on hardware that have allowed either the Chinese government directly or those working for the Chinese government to infiltrate and exfil data. Case in point, back in 2018, Chinese spy chips were found in hardware used by Apple and Amazon. But for transparency's sake, the companies deny any such reports. But I have a link to a CNBC report from 2018 that discusses this accusation, and that link will be in the show notes. So, it does not take a large leap of an imagination to suggest that a company that has at least strong ties to the Chinese government, and at worst, is being run by the Chinese government, that they would put chips on telecom hardware that would be used by an adversarial government of the Chinese. From a military standpoint, that is the ultimate cyber Trojan horse. On top of that, there is no such thing as privacy, or at least a privacy that is guaranteed by our constitution in China. They are the epitome of the big brother state. So it is laughable for her to talk about privacy. She basically just brushes off the idea that is inconceivable that a company would intentionally allow for a backdoor to be installed, or at least these quote, bad actors. Again, she doesn't talk about anything about that bad actor being the government and the government forcing people to do that. Because in China, they don't have the same rights and liberties as we do here in the US. To take a page from her songbook, it isn't a risk that I'm willing to take. And it isn't one that the U.S. government is willing to take, at least for now, by having Huawei Telecom hardware on the backbone of the U.S. communication infrastructure. There is no amount of cybersecurity, whether it's applications, that is assessments, or anything like that, that could stop data or information from being stored, diverted, or even blocked because the hardware was compromised from the manufacturer out the gate. If the integrity and the assurance of the hardware or even the software is in dispute, we have problems at a fundamental level. It is just the way the technology is set up. That's why, at least in the U.S. government, there's a lot of assurances that go on and testing that go on at the hardware level things that we see on our computer if that's being changed at the hardware level we will never know about it as a regular end user that's problems can't stress it enough at least with most modern technologies that are being used today by companies there's not a lot that can do or that is able to be done to test the assurance to say this bit in this particular position is the bit that's supposed to be there. It does happen. And I don't want to get into a lot of the technology behind it and the bits and bytes for you guys. There are some of those protections or more of validations that happen in some of these protocols. So I don't want to get that confused from from this conversation there. I'm just saying from a, a problem, if there is a chip that is designed to, again, divert, store, or block data. It's very, very, very difficult if you don't know about that chip to test for that at a higher level on what's called the OSI seven layer model. Anyway, getting a little bit too technical there. The last thing I will say on her article has to do with the very last paragraph. Quote, we now need to turn this conversation into action by developing strong processes and procedures that will help secure the national telecom infrastructure, both here in the U.S. and around the world, end quote. By those strong policies, processes, and procedures, she really means allowing Huawei to be able to sell their equipment to whomever and wherever they want. So, as a side note, once again, you cannot take everything at face value. When I first read this article, I didn't pay attention to who wrote the article. I was just going through it, and as things weren't adding up, the writing, the content didn't seem to match what the the title had suggested the article was about. It wasn't until I looked at who wrote it and where they worked that the true intent of the article, in my opinion, think the true intent of the article came clear. And in this case is making an argument and, and getting that subconscious connection of, oh, Huawei's a good company. Look at all these professional people. They wouldn't do anything to bring negative light or or anything bad to their profession. So, one of the things that people will do, they'll put these little nuggets of truth in there, but they will also spin that to get to or at least get the reader to make some connections on their own. Even though she doesn't directly come out and say it like I've already said, but that is what she's trying to do here. She's trying to put, oh, we're good. We're, we wouldn't do anything bad. That goes against our our ethics. But if they're being forced to by the government where this company is based in, it doesn't matter the ethics. People over there, they may just be agreeing to go along with it for survival. I don't know, but need to do more when we're reading through these to make sure that we're just not taking this information at face value. Now, I'm a little over my time here, but I, I, I want to touch on this real quick. I won't read the article verbatim. This next article, came I came across it thanks to Dan Lorman, who is the former chief security officer for the state of Michigan. He's currently CISO at Security Mentor, which is a security awareness and training company. And he's, he's a top cybersecurity voice here in the country. The article he shared was from CNBC, and basically it goes and talks about the state of Iowa contracted with a prominent cybersecurity company to conduct pen testing. And this really is a warning to my friends and those who are in a red team role. And and basically these contractors, when they do these penetration tests, they're trying to get in to test the physical security they also use some cyber elements that get whether it's a usb thumb drive that's left on the floor they try to get in and and test the overall security and this past september two employees of this company were arrested in the course of doing their job at least according to the article and the thing is they were doing this on behalf of the state and this really does address some concerns within the industry about doing this type of work, because don't have all of the permissions in place, either at federal or state level, you could be committing crimes. And the folks from the state have said, yeah, we, we contracted out to these guys. So uh, we'll have a link to the article here, even with all of this stuff going on. I mean, this is just a, a very, And I hate for these guys because they were just doing what they were paid to do. I hate that these guys are in jail and I'm not trying to make light of it, but it is an interesting thing. And I think it brings up some really larger issues within the security field and, and how we do our jobs from hacking back to all this other stuff. So Anyway, guys, that's it for this week's show. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again to our sponsor, Delta Research, for supporting the show. And thanks again to all you guys for listening in. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can go to the show's webpage at www.cybernowpod.com. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to get a hold of me directly, you can go to Twitter, and find me at the underscore Polititech or email me at nick at nickatthepolititech.com. Finally, if you think this show's content is worthy and valuable, go to iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting platform to subscribe, rate, review, and don't forget to share the show. Now, I do want to say this because we're not going to record next week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy the time with your families. Try not to eat too much, but the right amount. Enjoy the food. Again, enjoy the time with the families. Love this time of year. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday because I get to cook and I get to eat. All right. We will see you guys again in a week or two. And until then, have a great holiday. We'll talk to you soon.